0: Welcome to Adventures in Jewish Studies, the podcast of the Association for Jewish Studies. In every episode, we take you on an entertaining and intellectual journey about Jewish life, history, and culture with the help of some of the world's leading Jewish studies scholars. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. It's no secret that Jews in America have been intermarrying at increasing rates over the last several decades. In 1990, the National Jewish Population Survey conducted by the Jewish Council of Federations found that more than 50 percent, 52 percent to be exact, of American Jews were married to non-Jews today according to the pew research center's jewish americans in 2020 study which was published in may of 2021 the figure is around 60 percent among non-orthodox jews the intermarriage rate is more than 70 percent for many american jews rising rates of intermarriage have been cause for alarm back in the 90s some called it a second holocaust Today, that sentiment remains for many observant and traditionally-minded Jews. What Hitler started during World War II, according to that narrative, American Jews are finishing by marrying out of the faith and, consequently, pushing American Jewry further down the path toward assimilation and, eventually, extinction. But that way of seeing things hasn't gone unchallenged. For example, reform rabbis have been performing interfaith marriage ceremonies since the 1980s. And more recently, organizations such as 18 Doors offer a counter-narrative, namely that interfaith couples should be welcomed into the larger Jewish community and encouraged to engage fully in Jewish life and raise their children to have strong Jewish identities.
1: There's no time like the present to rethink and even pivot and completely rewrite the narrative because the negative narrative was based on a series of assumptions.
0: This is Dr. Karen R. McGinnity, a research associate at the Hadassah Brandeis Institute and an interfaith specialist at the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism. The main assumption, she says, is that once a Jew marries a non-Jew, they cease to identify Jewishly or be involved in the community and will not raise Jewish children. But the recent Pew study, as well as McGinnity's own research, has found that that assumption may not be true. For example, according to the study, kids born to interfaith couples are increasingly identifying as Jewish. Among Americans older than 49, with one Jewish parent, just more than 20% identify as Jewish. But among Americans age 18 to 49, nearly 50% identify as Jews. And this may be because, McGinnity says, for some Jews, marrying outside the faith brings their Jewishness into sharper relief.
1: What I, in fact, found was that as Jews married non-co-religionists, they, in fact, became more interested in figuring out you know what their jewish identity was about and uh, continued to be involved in the community and to educate their children jewishly culturally and or you know if not religiously at least culturally and uh, that that increased over time so looking at this longitudinally what the pew 2020 study is illustrating is the change over time that that negative narrative didn't take into account whatsoever
0: Now, it's still the case that kids who have two Jewish parents are more statistically likely to identify as Jews compared to kids with only one Jewish parent. And furthermore, the Pew study found that kids with one Jewish parent are more likely to identify as ethnically or culturally Jewish, but less so from a religious standpoint. And so you can argue, and some Orthodox and conservative Jewish authorities do, that the sort of Jewishness resulting from intermarriage is not robust enough to perpetuate American Jews as a distinct group very far into the future. But McGinnity challenges that narrative too, pointing to the fact that the number of Americans who identify as Jewish has grown by nearly 10% over the past seven years to approximately 7.5 million, according to a Jewish American population estimate published by Brandeis University's Stendhart Social Research Institute in 2019. And the growth isn't due only to Orthodox communities with relatively high birth rates. Since the last time the Institute published American Jewish population findings, the number of American Jews who identify as Jews of no religion rose by about 500,000 from around a million in 2015 to approximately 1.5 million in 2019.
1: Jewish marriages or Jews marrying each other is more ideal or that it has a higher likelihood of increasing Jewish population. I think it's also disproven by Pew 2020 when you look at the very high intermarriage rates and at the same time the Jewish population growth. So, how, you know, and it's not just that due to the Orthodox Jewish population, right? So, the reality being that Jews who marry people of other faiths or cultural backgrounds can experience a rejuvenation, a renaissance of their Jewish identities. And that is something that wasn't even considered, it wasn't part of. The, the academic or the communal discussion, how that could even happen. You know, it wasn't one of, one of the questions. And part of that is because the vast um, majority of quantitative studies looked at Jews according to very narrow, limited definitions of who's Jewish and how they're Jewish, according to certain behaviors, and certain social networks and certain philanthropic giving and so forth.
0: Plus, McGinnity notes, many Jews by birth, even those who marry fellow Jews, don't necessarily place Jewishness at the center of their identity. And one Jew marrying another doesn't guarantee that their children will develop strong Jewish identities of the sort, seen as crucial for perpetuating Jewishness and Judaism into the future. In fact, people who convert to Judaism for purposes of marriage are often more devoted to their adopted faith than the Jews they marry, a phenomenon captured in a scene from the popular TV series Sex in the City, where one of the main characters who recently converted to Judaism prepares an elaborate Shabbat dinner for her fiancé, a secular Jew who's more interested in the Mets game on TV than in saying Shabbat blessings. Honey, please turn that off. We're about to eat. Mm, smells incredible. And you made brisket. I cannot believe you made brisket. Baruch HaTadanoi Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kedishanu B'mitzvah Tav Betzivanu Lahadlik Shabbos Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, sweetie. Mmm, I cannot believe you made all this. What did I do to deserve you? I feel the same way. I've been thinking about blessings and you are such a blessing to me. Why is the TV on? It's on mute. Mute? Mute? We're having Shabbos dinner. It's a big game, honey. Turn it off. I want you to turn it off right this minute. But it's... Off now. Let me just watch this one pitch. I gave up Christ for you and you can't give up the Mets?
1: And whenever I show this clip to a room full of people, what's very interesting to me is that many men in the room laugh and many women in the room grimace. And when she stands up and says... I gave up Christ for you and you can't give up the Mets. It's such a powerful piece of dialogue and it captures incredible gender disparity.
0: Although Jewish men and Jewish women intermarry at approximately the same rates, McGinnity says, non-Jewish women who marry Jewish men are generally seen as mostly responsible for raising their children as Jews.
1: In the case of an intermarried Jewish man, he still has the primary breadwinner role, and his wife of another faith background. She goes from being accused of luring him away, right, and being sometimes called a a, a despicable and and distorted word based on a, a Yiddish word, to then being told that, you know, she now has the responsibility for raising Jewish children. Although, why anyone would expect her to after she's been um, shunned or stigmatized or otherwise undervalued, underappreciated, and then expect her to know how to do something that she wouldn't know and that he would potentially know. But, you know, why isn't the responsibility for raising Jewish children on uh, Jewish men's shoulders?
0: For McGinnity, the upshot of her research and of the Pew study data is that, at least in the American context you don't need two Jews to raise Jewish children. That's not necessary. You only need one.
1: And I would argue one of any gender, provided that Jewish partner takes the responsibility to whatever extent they are co-parenting, but primarily the, the Jew in the equation can make the commitment to, to raise Jewish children with their co parent
0: Furthermore, McGinnity argues, the narrative around intermarriage and Jewish continuity has focused almost exclusively on the traditional two parent family.
1: There are all kinds of other ways of looking at the perpetuation of Jewish peoplehood, of Jewish religion and culture that extend beyond the traditional framework for understanding both the family, what constitutes a family who's in the family, what the family looks like. And by look like, I I explicitly mean people of all colors. And understanding that the Jewish people as people or peoples is far more diverse and has been living and is living Jewishly far more diversely than has heretofore been accounted for.
0: McGinnity's point is not that the practice of Judaism is insignificant for intermarried couples who wish to raise their kids as Jews. In her role as an interfaith specialist for the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism, she in fact argues that conservative Judaism needs to be more welcoming to intermarried couples.
1: We as a movement need to do a much better and more explicit job of telling interfaith couples and families of Jews and their loved ones that we see you, we hear you, we value you, we want you of acknowledging and thanking and honoring the people of other faiths and cultural backgrounds who want to be part of the Jewish community, who are bringing their children to Jewish communal events and or to religious school, you know, to really open the tent wider rather than you know, holding them away or otherwise stigmatizing them as second-class citizens.
0: For McGinnity, that sentiment will help strengthen not only conservative Judaism, but Judaism and the Jewish people generally. Intermarriage trends are unlikely to reverse course after all. And so McGinnity hopes that the Pew study serves as a wake-up call to at the very least question, if not actually reject, a hierarchical model of a Jewish belonging, with the most traditional Jews at the top and the least traditional at the bottom,
1: because that only serves to um, alienate Jews and their loved ones. Whereas if we flip it on its side and look at it horizontally, and you know, from the the most cultural, say, from the most cultural, least religious to the most religious you could say and culturally it's all good it's all good and and if there's movement you know between movements that's good too as long as some people are finding their place and feeling like they belong not just that they are quote unquote welcome
0: the topic of intermarriage isn't just academic for magenity it's also personal She was raised by two Jewish parents, became a bat mitzvah, spent time in Israel, attended Jewish summer camps, and assumed that she would marry someone Jewish. But she ended up marrying an Irish Catholic guy. And as she would find among the Jewish men and women she interviewed for her dissertation on intermarriage, McGinnity found that marrying a non-Jew sparked a kind of renaissance of her Jewish identity.
1: That made me think okay, well, what does being Jewish really mean? How am I Jewish? My whole life, I was Jewish. But I'd never really thought to your question, uh, who is a Jew? Who am I? And how am I Jewish? And then having made a premarital negotiation that I would take his surname as he was the last in that line. And we would raise any children as Jews, which was extremely important to me, especially in light of the decimation of the Jewish people during the Holocaust, and, uh, and being named for someone who perished. And, uh, and then I had to figure out, well, how, how do I, we, transmit Judaism to our child? What does that look like when there aren't two Jewish parents? And knowing that I was putting so much effort into it, and we were talking about it, and I was researching you know, Jewish preschools, there was a lot of emotional and physical, mental labor involved and a lot of very um, conscious decision-making.
0: For example, choosing her daughter's name spoke to the ways in which intermarrying had made McGinnity more conscious of her identity as a Jew.
1: I mean, you're going to bring in a Jew into the world with the last name McGinnity? He, she, they has got to have a name that would balance that out. And we chose Shira, and that works. And uh, I I think that it made me wonder, am I an anomaly? Or have other women who married men of other faith backgrounds experienced anything similar? How is it different you know, at the beginning of the 20th century than at the end of the 20th century? And ultimately, that led to my dissertation topic. And after speaking about that research and being told and asked uh, over and over the same thing, either, that's my story, you know, that, that, that was my experience too, and or, what about men? What about my nephew? What about my my brother? What about my son? And realizing, you know, I needed to understand Jewish men's experiences too.
0: McGinnity hopes that her research and the Pew study and this podcast episode will help American Jews think more deeply about their Jewish identities and about the ways we interact with and treat each other and people of other faiths.
1: And to understand that, you know, we are living our Jewish values to the extent that we treat everyone. Elohim, if one believes in God's image; if one doesn't believe in God, then in the human image of all reaching our human potential, which is to treat each other with the honor and mutual respect that each and every individual deserves, and you know, learning about each other rather than making assumptions about each other. Or pigeonholing people or labeling people, but rather being curious and asking, you know, what's important to you? You know, what do you find meaningful? And for people of other faiths uh, or for people who choose to be Jewish, who were not raised or quote, born Jewish, whose extended families, you know, don't become Jewish with them, right? We are all one big interfaith family. We are one big human interfaith family. And the more that we can open our minds, well, broaden our minds, open our hearts to that idea, and the more we can act accordingly when we come into contact with each other, the more I think that we will grow as, you know, as a species and certainly certainly as Jewish peoples, right. plural.
0: Adventures in Jewish Studies is made possible with generous support from the Salo W. and Jeanette M. Barone Foundation. The executive producer of the podcast is Warren Hoffman, Jeremy Shear is the producer, and Jen Richler is associate producer. The Association for Jewish Studies is the world's largest Jewish studies member organization, featuring an annual conference, publications, fellowships, and much more for our members, as well as public programming. Visit associationforjewishstudies.org to learn about joining if you're a Jewish Studies scholar or to find out how to bring a Jewish Studies scholar to your community. If you'd like to support the AJS and learn more about what we do, we invite you to join our new Friends of the AJS group, which will keep you informed about the latest research, books, and developments in the field of Jewish Studies. For more information, go to associationforjewishstudies.org forward slash friends. Thanks for listening.